Hi, I'm Jared Ball, Chief Economist at CEDA, and welcome to CEDA's Policy Snacks podcast, a series of bite-sized explainers about today's big policy ideas and issues. Today, we're talking about property taxes, in particular, what some call one of the least efficient taxes, stamp duty. Despite the COVID-19 pandemic, house prices are growing at their fastest pace in more than 30 years, thanks partly to record low interest rates. Now there are growing calls to abolish stamp duty to help young people get on to the property ladder and encourage more people to downsize. The ACT has already taken this step and New South Wales is looking into it. To discuss this, I'm joined by our senior economist, Cassandra Windsor. Thanks for joining us, Cass. Um, so we, you know, these things go very fast, so we'll just get straight into it. Um, to start off, can you explain for us how stamp duty works and, and why some state governments um, seem to be quite reluctant to abolish it? Yeah, thanks, Jared. Um, so stamp duty is a tax on buying and selling. Um, in the context that we're talking about today, in the context that most people know about it, it's, it's usually on real estate, so buying a house, um, but it can apply to some other transactions as well. It's also sometimes referred to as transfer duty. So transfer duty and stamp duty are generally the same things, um, fairly interchangeable. And it's a tax that's applied by state governments. The amount of stamp duty that applies when you purchase a house um, does differ quite a bit depending on, on which state you live in, the value of the property um, and a few other factors. But just very roughly, in most states, you'll pay somewhere around $18,000 on the purchase of a $500,000 property and somewhere around the $40,000 mark on the purchase of a million dollar property. So it's quite a significant amount of money um, and it's amount of money that you, you need to have along with your deposit um, for purchasing a house. Most states um, have some sort of stamp duty exemption for first home buyers, usually if they're purchasing um, a, a property in the more affordable range. Um, and many states also have higher stamp duty rates for foreign purchases. Stamp duty is a really important source of revenue for state governments, and, and that's why they remain pretty keen on it. So it's not unusual for stamp duty to make up somewhere in the range of kind of 20 to 25 percent of total taxation revenue for a state or territory. So it's it's very significant. But the, the downside is it's also really volatile because it's dependent on property market conditions. So it's dependent on the amount of properties that are transacting in the market and the price of those properties. So you started just there to touch on some of the criticisms of stamp duty, um, so revenue volatility being one of them. Um, what are some of the other criticisms and what are the sorts of changes that are being put forward uh, by different groups? Yeah, so stamp duty is um, considered a pretty inefficient tax um, and pretty much all economists, I think, will agree with you on that. So essentially stamp duty raises the cost of buying a home, which makes people less likely to do so. And that has a lot of flow and effects um, to the broader economy. So uh, with something like stamp duty and the transaction costs are very high for buying or selling a home. Uh, so that might mean that someone's less likely to move for a job, which affects labor mobility and, and flexibility in the labor market. It might mean that someone actually goes and purchases a house that's bigger than what they need right now to perhaps um, account for a growing family or changes in circumstances because they don't want to have to pay um, those transaction costs again if, if they change house. Or at kind of the other end of the scale, it, it might make a retiree more reluctant to downsize um, from the family home because once they, they take into all the transaction costs, they may not actually kind of end up that much financially better off. 
So all these sorts of scenarios mean the property market's less liquid, there are fewer transactions, and just really less likely to meet the needs of the community. So people are not necessarily in the house um, that suits them at the current moment. Stamp duty can also be an impediment to first home buyers um, because it's, it's some extra cash that you need to save along with the deposit. And we know that that deposit um, saving is, is really the crucial barrier to home ownership uh, for a lot of people. Um, most states have kind of overcome this in some manner by a, a form of stamp duty relief for first home buyers. The alternative um, would be some sort of broad-based land tax, and, and most economists are pretty supportive of, of this. So this would be a tax in a similar measure to uh, council rates, so um, a, a much smaller amount but paid on an, on an annual basis rather than a one-off. This would allow property tax revenue to be collected more consistently. It wouldn't be based on how much stock is transacting in the market. So a broad-based land tax, we've got a much broader tax base. It's a much uh, less volatile revenue source for state governments. Um, and it's also it would make it much easier for state governments to predict and plan for what revenue they're going to get, rather than being kind of at the whims um, of current property market conditions. All right, so we are seeing some uh, jurisdictions move towards uh, a land tax. Um, so which jurisdictions are doing this and, and how, are they, how are they going about it? Yeah, so the ACT have been the first movers on this. Um, they started in 2013 um, in a 20-year transition program uh, to abolish stamp duty. Um, so this is a very slow winding back of stamp duty while progressively increasing general rates for property owners. And the aim of this kind of reform is, is to be reven revenue neutral and to have that really slow transition. New South Wales um, have come to this kind of bit more recently, um, so announced in the state budget last year um, that there would be some changes to stamp duty and land tax, um, and that's currently under consultation. So the proposal that they've put out is um, they've gone for a different route than the ACT and they've gone for um, an opt-in arrangement. So um, if this model was um, to be put in place, uh, as someone purchasing a new property would have a choice between either paying with stamp duty upfront in a, in a lump sum um, or paying an ongoing um, annual land tax. Um, and there would be no changes um, for existing property owners under that model. But the idea would be that over time, more and more properties um, move on to the land tax model. Again, this is aimed to be revenue neutral over time. And so I think a lot of the other uh, states and territories will be watching this closely, uh, particularly the New South Wales model, um, and particularly because New South Wales has been so dependent on stamp duty revenue um, for such a long time. So they'll be looking to see how it goes, particularly how the community reacts to it and the impact that it has on the budget position. Well, coming to these other states uh, who aren't making the switch at the moment, what what is it or what arguments are they making in terms of holding them back from making that switch? Look, it's, it's really all about revenue. Um, so state governments are pretty hooked on stamp duty revenue. Um, and it's not an easy transition to make. So the intention, um, and we've seen this both in the ACT and the New South Wales proposal, is that if you do this transition, you can actually make it make it revenue neutral. But that's kind of looking over, over the longer term and it, it is quite tricky in practice. So if you were to go through um, uh, this change, um, that's quite likely that you might have a short-term hit to revenue, um, which is very hard for, for state governments to do. Um, and you're probably not going to see the benefits of it for a long time. So it's really tricky for state governments to commit to a change um, and it's very future-focused. So you might have some short-term problems um, for long-term gains. 
There is also some community opposition um, and some of this probably could be overcome by the different, different models that are put in place. So you've got some pushback from people that have already paid stamp duty. So if you maybe actually just recently purchased a property and, and you paid $40,000 in stamp duty, you're not going to be very happy to be told that you might have to pay a, a land tax now as well. Uh, and this is why we see with the transition programs, we see with something like the ACT, they've actually got this 20-year um, program. So you very slowly wind back the stamp duty and increase the land tax. Um, and you also might have people that actually purchased the property a long time ago, um, paid what probably felt like then a, a lot of stamp duty, um, but probably looking at it from a, um, a current perspective doesn't seem like very much. And again, would not be keen to then um, be told that you do have to pay a land tax, um, particularly if you weren't weren't planning on moving. And um, you can see in the New South Wales proposal that they again take this into account. So it's only impacts on new transactions. There can also be a bit of perception um, that consumers um, might be happier paying a one-off tax. So you, you pay stamp duty and then you forget about it in, until you go and um, purchase another property. Uh, whereas with a, with a land tax, you're actually kind of paying and, and remembering each year that you've got to pay this tax to state government. So it's, it's not an easy transition, but the benefits are pretty clear. Um, and so whichever approach um, a state government um, or territory takes to change, what's really important is that there are transition um, programs in place and that the governments that plan these change really effectively communicate the benefits to the community um, and bring the community along with the changes. Well, you've convinced me, Cass, uh, hard to argue with that. Um, that's Cassandra Windsor. She's a senior economist at CEDA and I'm CEDA's chief economist, Jared Ball. Uh, and if you want to hear more CEDA podcasts, you can subscribe using your favourite podcasting app.